the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll on. Rolling along. That's what we do here on the other side of Texas, broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Went in, got the Barracuda, the Tundra. Make the Tundra great again. That's what they do there at Racer Car Wash. Stop into one of five convenient locations across Hub City for the best wash around. Guaranteed. See your best location there at racerwash.com. The big show ahead. We've got uh, State Senator Kel Seliger and a pre-taped interview. It's going to blow your mind. You want to hear Kel Seliger on with some rural aggression. And then Matt Dotre from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal is going to follow him Coming up about 25 minutes from now. Today, my friends, is Martin Luther King Day. And a couple of thoughts on this before we get rolling along here. Martin Luther King, I must say to you that we have not made a single gain in civil rights without determined legal and nonviolent pressure. Martin Luther King, letter from a Birmingham jail. Lamentably, it is a historical fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privileges voluntarily Individuals may see the moral light and voluntarily give up their unjust posture, but, as Reinhold Niebuhr has reminded us, groups tend to be more immoral than individuals. What does that mean? What it means is, I've read almost everything that Reinhold Niebuhr wrote in his books, Moral Man and Immoral Society, Niebuhr's posture is this. He was a liberal Protestant, which means the miracles and those things are off the slate, but that he believed in original sin. He thought it was the most empirically valid Christian doctrine and that empirical sin exponentiates in groups. Why do I start with that? Number one, it's Martin Luther King Day in America. Number two... Senator Tim Lee wrote what I think is a fantastic piece in the National Review today. And he says, In the wake of Tucker Carlson's viral populist manifesto earlier this month, which we covered here on the program, populist and libertarian-leaning conservatives have been debating the same point King raised 50 years ago. Does economic inequality depend on individuals' good and bad choices or on the social circumstances in which those uh, individuals make the choices. Obviously, the answer is both, but it's important, especially for conservatives, to dig into the question, and I could hit the desk right now, because this is what 
this program has been preaching this is the prairie populism that we've been preaching it's important especially for conservatives to dig into the question too many of king's and now carlson's critics point to america's free-ish market economy and declare that opportunity was and remains wide open to anyone willing to work that it's a little bit more than just personal responsibility that there are greater maxims at work and that's why Trump was elected the thought that there are as I always say about farmers forces too big to fight alone and this was this was Tim Lee's introduction into this piece. You can find it at National Review. Toward the end of his life, Martin Luther King Jr. turned his attention from an exclusive focus on racial justice to unequal opportunity. More generally, the United States was, quote, a nation gorged on money, end quote, he wrote, while millions of citizens are denied a good education, adequate services, decent housing, meaningful employment, and respect, and even respect, and are then told to be responsible. He specifically blamed federal policymakers for, quote, subsidies of the rich in unemployment and underemployment of the poor. so many things to get off on there but where I'll start is with this we have a problem in this country and you see it in the state budget that there are elite elite economic interests that are that have loopholes and in that shorted the rest for lack of adequate health care of adequate education and that's the problem we're fighting in the state right now and that's why I appreciate the state comptroller controller Glenn Hager stepping up and saying here's where we can find some money it's money that is loopholed for elite economic interests and I don't want to be given a name for somebody who's against the rich because we do pretty well at my house and I don't think the rich are the problem I think it's simply a problem of reciprocity and that's what Martin Luther King had a problem with and that's the problem that prairie socialists as some call us, uh, prairie populist is more mainstream, have a problem with. And in groups, those things begin to compound and ex- exponentiate, and I've got a big problem with it. And that's what I get off on on this program. More than anything else is whenever wealthy interests and not just wealthy, but uber-wealthy interests begin to drive. And that's always my problem with with folks is 
they come to us these outside interest groups come to us with social concerns that begin to exploit our economic interests it's not enough just to oppose abortion you've got to be uh you've got to be for the one percent a one percent that most folks most all folks will never see and that's what just grinds my gears and uh wanted to throw a little bone out because what martin luther king saw and as tim lee lays out in his piece is that it's not just a minority problem it becomes a underclass problem for everybody and we are great popular just by virtue of being a texas tech fan you're a great populist and populism on the rise in these american states and for good reason a lot more to say there but what i'm going to do now is get out on the break we got kel silger state senator out of amarillo his um district goes down amarillo 25 counties up in the panhandle and then down the new mexico line and then into the permian basin in texas gonna get him on and play you that interview stick right where you are you don't want to miss this it's gonna be fantastic whenever you come back in uh kill selger's complaints against lieutenant governor stick right with us here other side of texas This interview has been played up in the media, and now we're going to play it for you now. An exclusive interview, mind-numbing interview, with Kel Seliger, state senator out of Amarillo. And we're going to play it for you now, right here on the other side of Texas. On the phone with us is state Senator Kel Selger out of Amarillo. Senator, you've been at the uh, center of a lot of attention uh, in state politics over the past few days. How are you? Great, thank you. How are you? <laughs> doing doing well. So, here's the hullabaloo that uh, you got uh-huh. taken off higher education as the chair uh, in the lieutenant governor's new appointments. You were on education, natural resources, finance. Now you're the chair of agriculture. Uh, You're on the Committee for Health and Human Services, nominations, veteran affairs. Was this a slight at you, Kel Seliger, from the lieutenant governor? I I think that was the way uh, it was intended. And uh, because I didn't vote for everything that was one of his priorities in the 85th legislature, by everything, um, you mean what? Well, two of his 30 priorities. Which were? And, um, uh, public school vouchers and the um, revenue caps for local taxing entities on a tax that doesn't affect the state of Texas. It only affects school districts and cities. And so, but, uh, if there was a slide intended... I don't think it was successful because I will chair the Agriculture Committee, and agriculture is absolutely essential to the Texas economy. 
and this is the most productive part of the state agriculturally and so we're going to do some really good things in the committee as, as I told you earlier I'm headed to Austin today even though tomorrow is, is a national holiday we're going to get together in my office a little while and making plans to have as strong an agricultural session of the legislature as we've ever had uh, we are pre-recording on a Sunday heading into Monday when this will air Kill Soldier kind enough to take some time here um why the slight kill I, I i don't understand what the lieutenant governor's thinking is and let me just cue that up by saying that i crunch the numbers the lieutenant governor won his race his general election by some would say just four hundred thousand one hundred and twenty five votes out of your district senate 31 which is kind of a dumbbell that runs the what, 25 counties up in the panhandle comes down the New Mexico line and takes in a swath of the basin. Um, he netted 87, almost 87,000 votes there. So one would say a quarter of, nearly a quarter of what he needed to win came out of your district. And if this uh -huh. is a slight then it's he's applied that slight to your district where higher education is a pretty big deal where education is definitely a huge deal public education uh what do you make of it being more about the district being slighted than kel seliger and why the slight in the first place if you're the lieutenant governor and you need the votes out here only he can talk about <clears throat> excuse me his motivations. Um, as the second-ranking Republican, these committees, which I think were really good, strong committees, were important to this district and to the state, and, and I think that we were doing a good job. But nowadays, kind of as I told people, this is a warning to other Republicans that if you stray from the lieutenant governor's agenda, there will be a price to pay, and I always knew that. But the other Republicans do now, too, this is an interesting time because one of the reasons I won my primary without a runoff was because of local government officials and educators who've had about enough of, of the slights that they get from Republicans in the state with vouchers that would take money out of public education and, and things like that. Hmm. And uh, I was one of only two Republicans who voted against that. I was the only Republican <clears throat> who voted for the principles of local control. That disturbs me about the Republican Party as a whole. Largely, this is driven by Empower Texans uh, down in Austin, and I have a suspicion that they had some suggestions to make on my committee assignments. And um, and unquestionably, their requests come before mine. Hmm. Um, tell me how you found out. Did the lieutenant governor call you in, or did you just find it when it was posted? The Secretary of the Senate sent emails uh, to all of us. I had gotten a call from some lady who works for the Lieutenant Governor while I was in a meeting earlier, but the first I saw it was from the email from the Secretary of the Senate. Yeah, was the lady Sherry Sylvester? Yeah. She says this, Kel Seliger. If Senator Seliger, this is Emma Platoff's, 
piece in the Texas Tribune. If Senator Seliger believes serving as chair of Agriculture Committee, a critical committee for West Texas and all of rural Texas, is beneath him, he should let us know and the lieutenant governor will appoint someone else. That's Sherry Sylvester. A little snide in those comments. Um, what would you say to her? It was extremely snide and really unbecoming for a member of, of the staff, the lieutenant governor's or my staff. I didn't say anything of the sort, and that assertion is, is in, disingenuous. And I have a recommendation for Ms. Sylvester and her lips and my back end. Hmm. That's, that's pretty, that's cleaned up, isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, pretty clean for radio. I appreciate you, Thank you cleaning that up for radio. This would be... Just thinking of others, okay? My, my response, as you always do, Kel Sulliger, we appreciate it. Um, <laughs> but if Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick believes the panhandle, a critical component of his re-election, is beneath him, he should have let voters know that it was beneath him instead of running those dumb damn TV ads ad nauseum in the panhandle where he needed it. Is that, uh, how do you feel about my comment back to Miss Sylvester? Well, it, it's, it, it, they're not related events that his um, uh, consultants work for one of uh, my opponents and he will most certainly come to this district, most certainly to the Permian Basin to raise money when people of Midland call me and say, you know, that senior person's chair on the the uh, finance deal is, is important to everybody, and certainly everybody in, in the district where we have some real transportation problems in the Permian Basin. But that's the way politics go, Jay. Um, after the end of, of the last session, uh, this didn't come as a complete surprise. I wasn't sitting there the other day in shock. Disappointment, maybe, but not shock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many higher education, uh, how many components of higher education are in your district in Senate 31? Well, there's seven community colleges and two universities those being West Texas A&M and, and University of Texas Permian Basin. I do an awful lot of things with, with people and constituents of Texas Tech because of its size and importance and, and the fact that it's becoming more and more prominent uh, in the state, in the nation, and it needs to be nurtured. Yeah, you do. I mean, there's an old myth that Bob Duncan, when he was chancellor, had a cot in your office. Um, uh, just in case he needed it while he was down there. Uh, no doubt that you've done a lot and do a lot for Texas Tech University. Um, tell me, man, there's so many things I want to get into here, Kel, but uh, <laughs> tell me, this is what I hear. I was down in Austin a week or two ago. People call you a free agent, um, that you're going to just line up and vote the way that you want to vote and it may be with the dims on public education and and tax caps or it may be whatever other uh, legislation comes up i find that a little bit problematic because it's not like you were all of a sudden a free agent i think free agency is what got you into the situation in the first place um 
You're right. Tell us about free agency in Kel Seliger. I'm a conservative Republican, and that's what my agenda is going to look like. Uh, I am not some sort of, of drone. I'm not owned by Empower Texans. And uh, I don't sit around and pay close attention to their scorecard like so many of my Republican colleagues, and I won't. I will vote my district. And uh, public education in the state has got to have somebody on the Republican side of the aisle to stand up for the 5.8 million kids in our public schools, 1.5, 1.6 million people in, in higher education. Somebody's got to try to set the tone besides empower Texans who are clearly uh, not supportive of public education at all. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, I went through and I looked at percentages, which uh, the Lieutenant Governor won, the Governor won, and you won in November. Mm -hmm. Now, you didn't have a Democratic opponent, which I think speaks to the panhandle down into the basin, that there wasn't an opponent. You did have a Libertarian opponent. Um what do you make of the lieutenant governor running some eight points behind the governor in your district? The way I look at it is that the governor got mostly Republican votes. I don't think there's a lot of crossover or things like that. It means that there are a bunch of Republicans who did not vote down the ballot for the lieutenant governor and some other Republicans. And, um, and I think a lot of those were educators. That's what the educators tell me, and I represent all a part of 80 or 90 school districts. Um, local government officials are genuinely put out and uh, were some of my strongest supporters. And as you know, those folks don't exist in a vacuum. There may not be many of them, but they talk to people and, and tell them what some of these measures are like. Okay, and what are they like? Well, let me give you an example. At a 4% revenue cap, and we all need to do things to talk about property tax. I'm working on it, too. But in Palmer County, north of Lubbock, that a 4% cap, revenue cap, they could not afford to give county employees a 3% raise. And then if a patrol car went into a ditch or they needed a road maintainer, they couldn't do it without an election. And if they lose the election, the people of Palmer County will just go without and this has always been my thing on the tax caps. Kel Seliger with us here, other side of Texas. Uh, I'm, I'm okay. I think I'm okay with the cap, uh, politically speaking. Principally, I'm not okay with it. But if Republicans will vow that they will disavow people who come from outside the district whenever these, quote, free and fair elections are held, for these rate uh -huh. cap, uh, for these tax caps, then so long as they keep their word, I'm okay with it. I think that you could see a situation in a Gaines County or a Randall County or a Swisher County when outside interests, you've mentioned empowered Texans, come in and they try to rig those elections and make the election about something that it's not. It's not about a patrol car going in the unit. It's not about a it's not about a trial that the county has to pay for. It's it's right. about something else. Well, there's a couple of points here. 
it's easy for us to do in the legislature because we get no property tax. It goes to cities. A few counties get some property tax, college districts, hospital districts, things like that. It doesn't affect the legislature at all. So if we cut cities and school districts off, doesn't hurt people in Austin. The other thing is that people who live in cities, counties, and school districts all over the state can cut their taxes tomorrow. The Your county commission can cut the tax rate in half tomorrow, but they haven't, and the voters in Lubbock County and in Randall County have not insisted that you haven't heard of a race around the state where somebody said, I'm going to cut your taxes in half in the city of Lubbock, vote for me. That would be very compelling to the voters, but the voters are not insisting on it, and this is local taxes or local issues. Yeah. If if the United States of America, U.S. Congress, wanted to limit our revenues in areas like severance tax, the way which I think is an unfair tax, the way that that, that the Republicans in the legislature want to limit, limit local tax making authority, we would go nuts. Those uh, of us who aren't already nuts. Yeah, uh, Kel Selger with us here on the program. Some would call you the low man on the totem pole right now. Others would see you as the swing vote in the Senate right now. Um, lots of talk whenever the lieutenant governor missed the first, the opening day of session, you know, was in D.C. Did he let you all know that he was going to be in D.C., or did you just show up and he wasn't there? He might have let some members know. I knew when we went into... Uh meet as a caucus of the whole Senate to talk about the schedule and things like that. I knew at about, um, I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so that morning. You know, which is, yeah. And Senator Nelson did a great job of presiding, and we got through the agenda. Uh, functionally, it didn't make any difference. I think it's odd to the point of unprecedented, but that's okay. The, the, the lieutenant governor does what he thinks needs to be done, and we can run the business at the Senate. Yeah, did he run against you in that election? Is that the way you look at it, Kel Seliger? That his, you know Alan Blakemore, one of his top lieutenants, ran against you in that campaign with Victor Leal. Do you see that election that you won without a runoff as you versus Dan Patrick? The lieutenant governor got involved in some races, including races opposing incumbents. He told me he was not going to get involved in my race. And so far as anybody has seen, he did not get involved in the race. Now, did he help raise money or something like that? I don't know, but he did what he told me he was going to do. So he kept his hands off of it, is what you're saying. Close as we can tell. Yeah. Um, so I cue all that up to say this. There are those, lots of people inside the Beltway, uh, who observe Texas politics who see this. If Dan Patrick were somehow nominated by President Trump to some capacity in D.C., you would become the presiding officer of the Senate. And the irony of that is that some would see you as low man on the Republican totem pole in the Senate right now, but you could become presiding officer if he is elected. You would just need a handful of Republicans. Certainly the Democrats would go along with it. You could become the third most powerful member of the legislature all of a sudden. Um, we have a president pro tem now, Senator Watson from Austin, 
and in lieutenant governor's office, he would preside until another presiding officer were elected. Everything else is just conjecture and speculation. Well, and lieutenant governor said he, lieutenant governor said he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Well, I've never been beyond conjecture and speculation, Senator. <laughs> and he also said he wasn't going to run against Lieutenant Governor Dewhurst. Yeah. Well, uh, closing thoughts for those close to home right now who are listening. Uh, what do you want them to know about your vision for this session and uh, your role in this session? My dedication to my district and to the things that are important to this district are absolutely undiminished. This next week I'll be talking to cotton growers, wheat growers, milk producers, cattle feeders, and things like that, and see what can we logically do that the state is stronger in support of agriculture in May than it is today in January. Okay. Um, and for listeners, tell me, Kel Seliger, uh, do you and the lieutenant governor have regular conversation? What is that relationship like? It is polite, as as we are obligated to do, and um, I, I and I think <clears throat> from day to day, day a professional one. Is that because you keep it professional, or because he does? No, it's it's when we see one another, we say hello, and we'll see we'll see what happens as we get into this session. And I have bills that are ready to go on in tenth, and I request certain bills be sent to the committee, and and we'll just see how I'm treated. The members don't treat the lieutenant governor; the lieutenant governor treats the members, and so we'll see what happens. And so your question can't be answered. But right now, our our like I say. Uh, our interactions are polite and businesslike. Are you surprised that you garnered so much attention, Kel Seliger? Oh, you know, since since last session, when I voted against only two of his thirty priority, which, by the way, is like a nine eighty one batting average, people have been saying that something like this was going to happen, and have been watching to see how it happened and what would ensue and things like that. So I know, I know certainly for all committees, because everybody wants to know where everybody's going to fall in, it, it has garnered some, some particular amount of, of attention. Um, I'm uncomfortable with too much attention. You think it's been too much? Because you've been the focus. You're the story after the first week of the session. Well, yeah, I guess I am, and it's important to talk about this because I think it has to do with the way people around the state and areas around the state are represented, but I think it's the district that's more important than I am. And you don't believe, because people will say, and I've, I've had interviews on the show before, that the Agriculture Committee is purgatory, that federal legislation, federal bills, federal law drives agriculture that the agriculture committee is purgatory on a on a state level you don't believe that it's true that that government federal government policy writing agriculture is so important and so i i don't deny the stature but all those agricultural you know how many agricultural products are grown in washington dc 
<laughs> Almost none. They're grown here. Not a lot and grows in the swamp. Yeah. Yeah. This is where policy goes into the ground and into agricultural transportation and research, things like veterinary schools and veterinary science. And so it's very important to the state and to this district. What would you make of the state? This will be my last question to you. What do you think of the House putting up Texas Tech's fully, what they asked for, $17,350,000, and the Senate just coming back with $4.17 million? 4.17 is a continuation of the budget from 2017. The important thing, Jay, is to get it in the budget. And it's a line item in the budget, and it's very, very early in the session. And, and Texas Tech has a lot of admirers, really. And it, when you talk to people, the only reason not to support Texas Tech Veterinary School is because of Texas A&M and their efforts and exhortations not to. Well, I'm hoping that, that we can sort of neutralized that and I've got a lot of help certainly from the three guys up here in the panhandle but most certainly Charles Perry and uh, uh, Dustin Burroughs and John Frulo yeah okay well that's where we're going to leave it for now Kel Seliger uh, the well, most intriguing not, yeah, man me. in Texas politics right now well, I've been telling people that for a long time but not <laughs> with any particular justification <laughs> Kel Selger, have a great week. We appreciate you making time. Thank you, Ant, for having me on, Jay. There it is. That exclusive with Kel Selger. Going to get in with Matt Dotre. Break some of that down. Matt Dotre of Lubbock Avalanche Journal fame is in studio. We're going to break that down and get into a little bit of local politics here in the 806. Stay right where you are, right here on the other side of Texas. Today, in studio with us now, we have the one and only Matt Dotre, Lubbock Avalanche Journal, covering local politics, all politics there. Right. Hey, Jay. Good to see you, buddy. Good to see you, too. Thanks for coming out. Um, uh, Your initial takeaway, you just listened to that interview with Kel Seliger. Your thoughts? He seemed... He didn't seem as upset as i thought he would he seemed cordial um and he said he knew it was coming do you think do you think that's the case i think he did okay i think he was expecting the worst and the best all at the same time yeah Yeah. well well, he said another republican has to take the reins for education so anyone come to mind specifically uh no because if you look um West of I-35, north of I-20, not another Republican on there, uh, on the education committee. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know who that would be. Right, right. Um, I well, Republicans in the House. That's where it would come from. <laughs> yeah, 
not in the Senate. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us what you've been looking over, what you've been reporting on as we zoom in to Lubbock and things that have got your fancy right now, Matt Dotra. Right. Well, today, most of my day today was spent with Congressman Arrington, so I appreciate you. My head's been in the in the cloud. My head has been in the clouds of federal government today. So thank you, thanks for taking me yeah. back down to earth. We're bringing you back local. Right, right. Um, you know, really, at the city council level, at the county commissioner level, um, new year, everyone's just kind of getting their ducks in a row. Really, the city council's still. This has been kind of the city council of planning. So we have um, the thoroughfare plan, this that comprehensive plan. Uh, Tuesday, tomorrow, they're going to talk about the water plan. So a lot of planning moving forward from the city level. Um, At the county commissioner level, it's really they're talking about roads, big road projects, which is something that... uh, On a bond. On a bond. Can you... Lubbock County and a bond are are, are words that um, I have not (laughs) talked about until this past week so yeah we had judge curtis parish on the show you did and he okay. laid it out this was two weeks ago right he began to lay out what was a bond package what would become a bond package yeah. for roads all over lubbock county yeah and this is something the county has this is the first time the county has got has put together a comprehensive you know thoroughfare master plan um of course woodrow road is and that's kind of what he said one. too. Whenever he was in studio, Dotre, he was talking about because all the hullabaloo in Lubbock right now is about Woodrow Road, yeah. uh, State Highway, and what do you do about that? And I think the numbers I looked at a couple of years ago, seventeen million dollars to do that road. Well, it seems to me like what the play is going to be is to get Woodrow Road done. You're going to have to do some roads. In Idaloo, mm-hmm. out in shallow water, and up on the Lubbock County side of Abernathy yeah. to get everybody on board. Well, the way it was kind of described to me is that they want to have these projects in place. Um, and, and that's what the new commission, Commissioner Jason Corley told me is that even if, even if they... Is pers- he for the bond? Yeah, but... I'm he surprised. Seemed, right, he, he seemed before the bond, to have, like privately funded. But but he kind of coupled that by saying we don't necessarily need to spend that money now. We we, we don't need. We just need because they want to pursue state dollars. They want to pursue federal dollars. Uh-huh. And, and the way to do that is you need to be kind of to at least get on the list of priorities. So they believe that um, you know. Uh, citizens approving this bond and not necessarily then capitalizing off of it, but just kind of having it in place shows that the county is serious and then the county is willing to put up th- th- this this match, be it 20%, be it 50%, whatever they want to pursue. Um, which but again, who's matching? The, the county would. Uh, they, the I county's mean, they want, matching the county? No, the county would match kind of like NPO dollars, is really okay. what they're going All for. Right. They're looking it, for federal tell dollars. Tell us here. what you mean by NPO. The Metropolitan Planning Organization? NPO. Which, NPO, yes, yeah. sir. Excuse okay. me. Which is just kind of this collective um, board that really uh, deals with federal transportation dollars. Okay. So, I don't know. But in for listeners, Woodrow Road is out in front of Lubbock Cooper High School, which right. is the third fastest growing 
school district yeah. in Texas yeah. right now. I didn't know. Th- I didn't know that. I mean, that yeah. probably I believe it. I well, that's just what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Don't quote me. Okay. <laughs> but that's what I've heard. Right. Okay. So the county uh, coming up with a bond right out of the gate in the new election. Right. And um, I mean, it, we're still in January. Right. So I guess they were just sworn in. Yeah. <laughs> they've they've had one official kind of. They've had one official. Yeah, meeting. a major. A major upheaval, and we're already talking about a bond yeah. package. And uh, if they want to put it on the May ballot, they need to do it. They need to vote to do so by do mid February. You think they're going to do that and put it up in May? All signs, based on the interviews I got with every commissioner and the judge after this past meeting, I would say yes. They seemed all in favor of it, I guess. There could be a hiccup. I don't really know. Um, February, mid-February is extremely fast, as you talked about. Um, I could see someone getting cold feet. I don't know. So, yes, they want to pursue this bond. Is it as soon as this upcoming election in May? Uh, I don't know. It sounds like it's going to be on in May. That's, that's Your what words, it sounds yeah. like. Uh, Matt Dotre in studio. You're going to hang out with us going to the next segment? Yes, sir. I'll be here. Uh, We're going to catch this quickie break here on the other side. Stick with us. We'll be back in about two minutes. Yeah, you like that new bumper music? You can thank New Sling for that. Matt Dotre, the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, in studio with us. Matt Dotre, so what's going on? We talked about the county level, and all of a sudden we're all into bonds on the county level, expecting that to come up in May. I'm saying it, you aren't. I'm saying I think they want that bond for roads on in May. What else is going on locally, like at the city level? Is there anything that's even risque, even PG-13? Oh, man. Uh, there's always something at the city level. Um, what I'm hearing now, I mean, no, not really. I, I, I guess this, the city council hasn't really been in the news in, yeah. in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I get, uh, All eyes seem now to be on... This legislative session, I, I, I think the, the council has some um, priorities. Well, every year the uh, the uh, recycling, the abandoned recycling center on uh, off near I twenty seven with the yeah. burned down shingles. You know, I think they're going to be fighting again. Shingles and tires right, and to, all that. To see if smoldering get, out by the airport, right, some help cleaning it up. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I'm sure we'll be talking about in the future. Um, Something that I need to pursue is, um, or something I'm always looking at is downtown development. Um, I, uh, I think I think something that could come up relatively soon is, is that uh, hotel project over there by the Civic Center, kind of that Overton, uh, similar to what they did uh, for the Overton Hotel. Yeah. New um, hotel. Right. I, I still know the city's kind of pursuing that. That I'm sure will be a, yeah. a topic of discussion. You know what year. gets me about the city is that, I've stopped criticizing City Hall, and um, 
tried to be a good citizen locally. Um, and I try to do that regionally, statewide. But, you know, there's this big play to sign up for a city board, right? Yeah. Like all this hoopla before Christmas, right around there. Right. And so I go on today and try to sign up. And guess what? I put in all my information, and then it's internal glitch. It says, you have to try back later. And you call, and you're like, oh, it's Martin Luther King Day. You can't talk to them today, right? Yeah. Maybe you just didn't get the message, Jay. Maybe no, you're the on. Maybe you're on. Shut down. It yeah. just, like, what are we doing? Maybe you're on the do not appoint list, and your name just got. Well, I mean, I've already been on the city board, so I don't even yeah. understand why I'm signing up again, number one. Number two. So tr- t- tell me how that works. So when you sign up for a board, do you sign up for a specific? Do you check you off name, what you want? I think that board you I didn't get on? this far enough in the process, but I think that you sign up for what you want. And I just assume that it's going to be like a top right. four. What do you want? And then you go from there. Well, it's just, um, just what we're just what was happening or what has happened with um, this senator. I'm sure there's just kind of like a hierarchy of committees just because I hear, you know, I've heard from people who um, aspire to be on these really ambitious local committees and then maybe they ruffle the wrong feathers and, you know, they, they get put on. So like you the- think I ruffled <laughs> and so I'm therefore out. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. I but I'm you saying, saying, you know, it, um, maybe they'll put, I'm trying to think of just kind of like a smaller committee. The the can junk the junk the vehicle committee maybe is where you'll you'll get a place on. Can you get on the committee? That'd be frowned upon, right? Right. Yeah, I would never pursue that. A conflict of interest. Absolutely. But I'm on the radio, so I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I write columns, so right. It's like right. okay, the guys on the committee. I think you'd be good on a committee. Sure. Okay. What? Well, I'll tell your bosses you said that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Dotre with us in studios. We close down the program here. Um, what have you been thinking about? What are you going to get into here? Right. Yeah, so I guess the past few, you know, I've written a couple think pieces. Um, uh, yesterday's paper had the story about annexations. The city's kind of taking a break. On uh, four annexations. annexations. Right, right, right. Um the the weekend before that it was about airbnbs you know whether or not the city should regulate them uh just kind of some think pieces lately um and what were your thoughts on forced on not forced annexations but on regulating airbnbs i sympathize for i'm not a homeowner truth be told but i sympathize for the homeowners I, i don't see how you can cannot um the the person I talked to said it's like a hotel moved next door to him. So um, I sympathize. I know they're having a lot of problems. There was that really good story in Texas Monthly this past issue about. Did you read that about the bachelorette parties in Austin? Oh, um, no. and it kind of tied into Airbnbs and how it's it, it's just kind of taking over um, neighborhoods. Now I'm not saying that's happening in in Lubbock, but I mean we're we're a college town. You would kind of. You would figure that this is uh, the atmosphere. Yeah, you know, we go to Colorado and we'll stay in little towns in Colorado yeah. in the summers with the kiddos. Right. And there's a lot of hell raising right now about how it's driving, making houses 
so expensive because the value gets driven up so much because it's rented out every weekend. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, that's a really good point. But you're you're like the ideal. You and your family is the ideal Airbnb customer. No, but we don't you Airbnb. Know, it's not in terms of neighbors. Oh, okay. I'm just talking with people around town because right. I'm that kind of dork that I just go into town <laughs> like, hey, what kind of issues are bothering you? Because <laughs> sure. I'm going to start up the other side of Colorado, uh-huh, right? So. Uh, but go in and talk with me. Well, you know, something that's really grinding my gears mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that our house, our housing prices are getting so far out the roof. Right. Yeah. I would imagine it's an issue in every, t- what do they say? Lubbock has the seventh highest, t- it's the seventh tourist destination in Texas. Wow. I don't know if that's true or not, but you would imagine that this is an issue in every kind of town that's able to draw visitors. Something especially to with, hang our yeah, hats on. For sure. Yeah. Well, I wonder what it is after the tech lost a couple but who knows i did <laughs> we did man fell flat on what, what are we gonna do <laughs> we gonna win the big 12 now of course no <laughs> you think we're still gonna win it i think we're definitely still in play Absolutely. i think that somebody's got our whole card man our offense will get going pretty rough at M Dotre AJ, that's where you follow him along on Twitter. Yes, sir. Why don't you put your real picture in your in your profile pic? You don't like the can't stand your picture, it's the George, George Costanza. Costanza. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> Needs to be you. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Others would disagree. Thanks for saying that. Uh, yeah, your mom and dad probably agree with <laughs> probably. me. I don't no. think my mom and dad know what Twitter is, but no. all right. <laughs> well, appreciate you coming out. I hope this won't be the last time. Of course not. Nah, anytime. More regular, except not on Tuesdays. Why did they move city council to Tuesdays? Yeah, they're argue or not argument, but they they just said Thursdays were busy. Thursdays were a busy day. Um, be it just All that junior high football, maybe Thursday night football. <laughs> um, you know, in terms of I guess PTA meetings, maybe I don't know. They just said that Thursdays weren't PTA a good day. Meetings? That's I just okay, said that randomly. That yeah. yeah. Um, that third, they felt like they weren't getting the not the crowd. They felt like people couldn't go to the meetings on Thursdays like they could any other day of the week. So t- tomorrow's the first Tuesday. Um, we'll see how that goes. And a bit earlier, I think. I think now it's at four thirty instead of oh, five fifteen. Yeah, but public comments are still going to be later. I should have brought the. I didn't bring the agenda. Public comments still after five. I think so. Yeah. yeah I think I. So I think public comments are still at five fifteen. But something happens before then. Not I should have brought the agenda. Out. I didn't. No. But we'll see how it goes. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. You did good. You're a good radio guy, though, Trey. Hey. Thanks. <laughs> Maybe you could change profession. I feel like I mumble, but I appreciate that. Umble. Mumble. Oh, mumble. I thought you said. Umble without the H. I thought that was maybe a thing. Hey, uh, for our friend Matt Dotre and for State Senator Kel Seliger, Jay West, Texas Leeson, got to get home, going to get home, great family, and below average dinner. Below average because my wife's in Phoenix and it's daddy's in charge. Frozen uh, pizza night? It's going, we're going to heat up a DiGiorno. That works. Lead, That'll work. Um, uh, Waiting for me there at the house with Graham Graham. Until next time, Rave On Buddies. Rave On Matt, thanks for coming out, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. Uh, we'll see you next edition right here, Other Side of Texas. It's who we want.